First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 5 and 9 to 12. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 5 and 9 to 12. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which rage, wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of God. Good morning, everybody. This off. Let's see. I'll turn that off. <clears throat> well, good to be here. Good to see you all. Um, as you know, um, those of you who are here, uh, we are going through a series at the moment. Um, on the topic of evangelism, and uh, it's titled Sharing Bread from Heaven. Um, if you're joining us kind of midstream, we've talked over the last uh, seven weeks about just different aspects of uh, evangelism and uh, how evangelism is not so much, it's not really a, a religious duty, and that's kind of a misperception that's out there. Um, evangelism is more what the word says uh, in Greek, it actually means good news. It's just sharing good news. And that's why we get the title of our sermon series, Sharing Bread from Heaven, because Jesus compares himself to bread from heaven um, for, for us all. So today, um, the title of the sermon is um, A Priest's Invitation into God's House. And I want to start with uh, something that happened this Tuesday. Now, chances are um, that, like millions of people all around our country, uh, you were glued to your TVs watching the, um, how shall I say, sad culmination of two years of campaigning unfold um, you know, on Tuesday in the presidential election. And... You know, as with any presidential campaign, these two candidates disagreed on everything. And that's maybe 
one of the things that saddened me most is this, you know, these are two people vying for the same office, and yet how can they be um, so at odds about how to do it, you know? And um, as much as I disagreed on all these things, it was very striking to me that they happened to agree on one thing, okay? There was actually one point upon which both campaigns did agree. I don't know if you caught it, but uh, it, it caught my ear that uh, during both Trump's victory speech and Clinton's uh, concession speech, we heard people from both sides say these common words, God bless. They both could not, for the life of them, you know, if their lives depended on it, could not agree on anything, but they could agree on this. God bless. God bless America. Now, this is something that we hear politicians say a lot. And uh, it's kind of interesting that politicians, many of whom, you know, don't even believe that there's a God, uh, would say this. And, of course, they say it, I think, because, well, basically they'll say anything to get our votes, right? <laughs> and uh, they know that we, the voters, um, want America to be, to be blessed, and why do we want America to be blessed? Because this is our homeland. This is our home, after all. This is where we live. And every person wants their home to be blessed. So God bless our homes, right? That's what we all want. The Bible talks about home, or at least another kind of home. In our passage today, it starts off, As you come to him... A living stone rejected by men, this is Jesus, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So today I want to give you three main points. And point number one is this. God takes those who come to Jesus and he builds them up into a spiritual house. God takes people who come to Jesus, that's what it says here, right? And he builds them up into a spiritual house. We are like living stones, right? Back then, what did they use to build a large structure? They used stones. And so we are like living stones that are being built up by God into a spiritual house. Not a physical house. And as you know, and some of you maybe even by personal experience, our physical homes, they can be damaged, they can be burnt up, they can be um, flooded, they can be tornado, depending on what part of the country you live in, they can be vandalized, and they can be burglarized, right? Or maybe all of the above, if you've been unfortunate. But whoever comes to Jesus is like a living stone that is built into a spiritual house that is impervious to those physical threats, 100% completely secure. We are living stones built into the spiritual house. I heard a story about a king of Sparta, kind of a cool story, um, in ancient Greece, who boasted to a fellow uh, visiting king about the mighty walls of Sparta. And so there they are talking. And the guest looked around 
And to his surprise, he couldn't see any walls. And said, what is this king of Sparta talking about, the mighty walls of Sparta? Finally, he said to the king, I'd like to see those walls. Show them to me. And so the Spartan king pointed with great satisfaction to some disciplined and well-trained troops, part of Sparta's mighty army. And he exclaimed, and maybe you can imagine Gerard Butler in uh, 300, right? There they are, right? Those are the walls of Sparta. Just as each Spartan soldier was part of this mighty wall in which the king of Sparta had so much pride and confidence, this mighty wall that protected the women and children of Sparta. So we too are viewed as living stones who are being built up together as not just a wall, but a spiritual house. And not just any house, but the house of God. I've heard it put this way. Take a look at this building, <clears throat> just this room, right? Look up, look around. At some point in the not-so-distant past, this building was nothing more than, what, a bunch of two-by-fours, right? Just lying on the ground. Um, a, a pile of nails, a stack of drywall panels, right? Uh, a stack of ceiling panels, um, a roll of carpet, you know, in some factory, some cement that uh, is still in powder form, right? Think about that. But after some great planning and a lot of hard work and expertise, all of those separate pieces... And, of course, all the hundreds of other pieces I haven't mentioned, they all came together, right, and have been joined into this one unit that provides this uh, function and, you know, to some degree, some beauty, <laughs> right? Think about that. Not so long ago, it was just a pile of wood, some nails, cement, drywall, just all randomly all over the place, different warehouses, different stores, and now it's this. The same thing is true of God's spiritual house and us. You see, those of us who are now Christians, we were not always here as one, right? There was a time in the past when, like those two-by-fours, right, or when, like, the cement powder or these drywall panels we were all separated into different little pieces, pieces that come from different backgrounds, different regions of the world, different cultures, different economic situations, different financial situations, right? Different family situations. Just look around. But then one day, Jesus Christ, the master architect and builder, he took all of these different shaped and colored living stones that we are, and he dressed you. He prepared you. He, he chiseled you so that you could fit into this master plan. He joined us together as a spiritual house. Each of you, each of you have a role. You have a role in this place. And as different as you are from each other, Christ has made you a very vital part of this house. 
And as a spiritual house, one of the things that we often maybe gloss over or forget, just because life gets busy, is the person, the, the one who dwells in the spiritual house is God himself. You are a living stone being built up into a spiritual house so that you can house the spirit of God in this dark world. So what this means is you have God over here, you have God's people over here, right? And our home is with each other. God, God's people, and this is the house where God dwells with his people. So, you know, every time you walk into this building through those doors or through those doors out there, think of that. Every time you look at one another. In fact, right now, why don't you just look at each other? Take a glance, look at one another, and think of this analogy. Think of the ways that God has prepared you. God has dressed and chiseled you to be built into the spiritual house. This building is a physical representation of a very spiritual reality that all of us who are in Christ are united to each other. We're united to each other. So that's point number one. Okay? God, those who come to Christ, are being built up by God into the spiritual house. Point number two is this. Verse five declares that God also takes the whole body of believers, all of us here, and he's building us into a holy priesthood. So there's kind of a mixing of metaphors that's being done here by Peter. That's okay. We can handle that, right? So we are a spiritual house. We're also what? A holy priesthood. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm not a priest. I have no interest in becoming a priest, right? So I understand that. I get that. Um, But the Bible also here, right, just... In verse 5, it also declares that you're part of a house, right? You're a house. Uh, so uh, just hold on and, and, and listen to this before you kind of dismiss this. And, ah, I don't want to be a priest. Why, that doesn't sound very particularly exciting to me. Now, before the time uh, that Jesus was crucified, before that, the Jews had a temple. You might know this, right? And in this temple was the presence of God. Now, there were certain areas in the temple where only a special people, a designated people, were allowed to have access to the presence of God. These were the priests. So you have this temple, and only certain people could enter into these restricted areas because these restricted areas were considered, you know, the whole, they contained the holy presence of God. So in some ways, you could think of it as uh, somewhat exclusive But these priests got to be in God's presence. They got to be in God's presence in a way that no one else could. It was a very special privilege. Today, we have hotels, we have restaurants that have these VIP rooms, right? And in these VIP rooms, um, only the rich or the famous or the powerful uh, can enter. Well, Because God chose this temple to be his dwelling place, 
the temple was actually the most exclusive and luxurious VIP room ever. And guess who got to go inside of this exclusive VIP room? The priests. So now, hopefully in this very, it's a very you know, complex you know, system of, of worship and, and, and priesthood. Um, I hope in this limited time that I have, you can begin to at least grasp why being a priest actually can be pretty exciting. Hey, Bob, what'd you do today? Oh, I, I harvested some wheat and I collected some dung of uh, the cattle today. How about you, Joe? Well, oh yeah, today I saw the glory of God. <laughs> I saw the glory of God. He spoke. The role of the priesthood, we have this, the priesthood has this unique relationship with God that no one else can have. This, and and the, the, the priesthood, they are to then mediate that relationship to other people between them and God. Now here's what happened. When Jesus was crucified, his blood paved the way for us to enter into his presence And so now all of a sudden, that VIP room just got a little bit bigger and a little more inclusive to all of those who, as it says here in verse 5, come to him and receive his blood. And now all of a sudden, you can have the kind of relationship with God and the kind of experience with God that before, previously, only the most highest priests could have. Now, I want you to think about your daily struggles, your daily problems. How much of a blessing and comfort is it to know that you can enter into the holy of holies, the presence of God, and you can bring all of your burdens and all of your anxieties and all of your dreams and all of your thoughts and all of your cares, and you can bring it to God, and you can have a real conversation with him about each and every one of those things. And guess what? He actually cares. How many of us have had a conversation with our friend or our spouse, and maybe it's on the phone or maybe it's in person, and they're talking and talking, and, and you're just kind of nodding your head, acting like you care, but deep down you're like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't, I can't listen to this anymore, Right? God doesn't do that with you. He actually listens. He actually cares. This is what it means to have this unique priestly relationship with God. This is just one of the things. I mean, we could have a whole different sermon uh, series on the priesthood of God, but this is just kind of uh, talking about one of the things. You and God get to hang out. You know, we all like to name drop, right? I know I do that sometimes, but I don't know that many <laughs> important or like famous people. Maybe you probably know more. Why do we name drop? We do it because we all like to know that, uh, uh, you know, if I associate with someone successful or glorious and they're willing to spend time with thee, that says something about me, right? So that's why we name drop. Right? It's a way of kind of riding on someone's coattails. It's kind of a way of like saying, hey, look, I'm kind of important too. 
because look at the circle of friends that I keep or that I know. And it's so amazing to me that, uh, you know, as excited as we might be about, hey, I know Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. He and I, uh, we're Facebook friends. <laughs> it's like, well, you're Facebook friends, but are you actual real friends? <laughs> and then here we are with God. You are actually a literal friend with God because Christ has paved the way and we are now the spiritual house, no longer this physical temple, the spiritual temple, and God dwells with us. And us and God, we get to chill, we get to hang out, we get to be together, we get to uh, be together forever. And we get to be with uh, not only God, but everything that, that God embodies, which is peace and life and joy and love. And if you feel that maybe your life is lacking in some peace, maybe your life is lacking in a little bit of joy, the good, good news is this, that Jesus gave you himself and you are part of his royal holy priesthood and you can enter and be with him. So that's point number two. Okay. All who come to Jesus are built into this holy priesthood of Christ, which at first did not sound so exciting, right? But after a little thought, after hopefully a little meditation, you, really, you begin to realize that it's one of the greatest privileges that is available to all of man in, in the entire universe. On to point number three. Point number three is pretty simple. Point number three is this. It takes point two, priests, and point one, spiritual house, and puts them together. In other words, we are God's priesthood, and our role is to invite people into the house of God. We are God's priests, okay? We are his priesthood, and our role is to invite people into the spiritual house. Now, how can we do this? How can we invite people into God's house? Well, there's... Uh, there's a lot of different answers. Today, I'm just going to touch on four, okay? The first part of the answer, look at verse 5. We can offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's the first way that we can invite people is by offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So, <clears throat> before Jesus was crucified... What did the priests do before he came and crucified and, and was resurrected? These priests, they would offer these physical sacrifices like the blood of bulls, sheep, animals. And what did this do? It cleansed, it signified the cleansing and the removal of the sin um, that could be uh, in God's presence. The problem was um, those things had kind of a, a, a time expiration. And so... You had to keep repeating these, these sacrifices over and over. And so Jesus, he is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He offered himself as the spotless lamb, right? As the ultimate sin remover. And so that wiped away our sins. Therefore, what does that mean? There's no longer a need for these physical sacrifices. 
the blood of the goats and no longer a need for that because the blood of the Son of God, the blood of the spotless Lamb has been shed. It, it fulfills that purpose. And as it fulfills that purpose, we get to benefit because now, again, as we talked about, we can be in God's presence like the priests, the highest of priests. And as a result, there is so much power and joy and, and just love as we dwell in God's presence that it, it brings out an offering of gratitude and love from our lips and our lives. And so this is what it's talking about here. We are to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Your life is to be a living sacrifice offered to God. Not a sacrifice to enter his presence. That's already done. It's already settled if you have Christ. But now it's a sacrifice of praise and worship and gift thanksgiving. So a few examples of these would be things like uh, prayer, worship, a Christ-like life and Christ-like dreams. These are sacrifices that um, as priests we have the privilege to make now. We can make these sacrifices for our King Jesus to pray for one another, to share one another's burdens, to let your light shine before men, to give generously to one another. In all things, give thanks. These are the spiritual sacrifices that you can now make as a priest, the new kind of priest. So understand that. I want you to, even like in your mind, imagine you're, you're a priest, you're a member of the royal priesthood, and no longer the old priests, the old order of priests, they would offer sacrifices of blood and animals, but now you are a new order of priests in the order of Jesus Christ. And so the sacrifices you offer now are offerings of love and prayer and thanksgiving and worship and kindness and offering forgiveness. You see? These are the sacrifices of the new order of priests that are acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. A second way that we as priests can invite people into God's house is this. In fact, in our small group, we talked about this. A lot of times, Christians, when we think about evangelism, sharing the good news, right, of Jesus Christ, we get very anxious, and it's completely understandable because, you know, today, uh, especially today, you know, Jesus Christ has somehow become you know, like a three-syllable swear word, right? Uh, we are not looked upon very favorably in the media, at least. And so when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus, we get very uh, anxious about how we're going to be perceived by our friends and our coworkers and our cl classmates. But here's one way to help alleviate your nerves as you think about, oh, they might reject me. Much of our anxiety comes from this misperception that we're supposed to argue and force someone into heaven. That is not true. You cannot argue or force. You cannot, you know, compel them by, by you know, your own will for them to receive the gift of Jesus. You can't do that. It's just not how it works, okay? The Bible teaches instead 
that if you want to think about the speck in someone else's eye, you better first worry about the two by four plank sticking out of your own eye. Right? So in other words, when you approach, when you think about evangelism, don't try to persuade someone, tell them why they need Jesus. First talk about why you needed Jesus. First talk about what Jesus did for you. First talk about the darkness that you experienced in your life. And then Jesus saved you from this and redeemed you and restored your life and gave you hope. It's much easier, right, when you think about it that way, to tell others not why you need Jesus, but here's why I need Jesus. Let me share my story. I guarantee you, if we can stop thinking that we're responsible for telling people that they need Jesus, and that's it. I guarantee you, if we can begin to also be willing to open up our own lives and show our vulnerabilities and show why I need Jesus, we can become a much more compelling witness and invitation to people. Third, not only are we, as his priesthood, called to share how we met Jesus, you can also share the blessings of Jesus. Okay, look at verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. What? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Christ who called you out of your darkness and into his marvelous light. It's similar to what I just talked about, why you need Jesus, but it kind of goes even further because it's talking about not just the excellencies of how Jesus saved you, but just the excellencies of Jesus in general and the excellencies of having a daily relationship with him and all the ways that he blesses you, and all the way that he comforts you, and all the way that he gives you strength, and all the way that he just listens to you. When we live a lifestyle of giving thanks and proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus, when we do this, when we have this kind of lifestyle, when we cultivate that kind of mentality of, of this verse 9, I am, I am saved because he loves me, and also because he wants me to proclaim his excellencies, when we have that kind of thanksgiving heart to Jesus, when we have that kind of heart of humility and gratitude, praising him for bringing me out of my darkness, what happens? It gives birth to this fountain of joy, this fountain of joy in your life. And this becomes an invitation just by, just by people looking at you. It just becomes an invitation for them to come into the spiritual house, to come to Jesus. In our uh, small group, a couple of people shared how, and you guys probably can relate to this, how at work, sometimes when they're uh, charged with giving some sort of presentation, you guys know sometimes some presentations go great, 
And sometimes some of your presentations, you're just like, oh, this really was bad. And, and then, uh, you know, some of our members were sharing how people would, their coworkers would come to them and be like, oh, my gosh, your presentation sucked. This is literally what they say. But why are you still so joyful? You see, when these other people would give their presentations and they knew it was bad and then everybody else would let them know it was bad if they didn't, you know, in case they didn't know it the first time, they would get just completely devastated and they would walk around the office sad and just pulling their hair and thinking, okay, what do I need to do to cover up myself, right? How can I make this up? How can I compensate and show that I'm worth something to this company? And they just, you know, they get all manic and scared and depressed and, you know, they deal with it in all different ways. But a, a couple of our members, it was so awesome. They're like, they came up to me and said, you know, your presentation was pretty bad, but how come you still have this joy? And these members shared, it's because, well, they, didn't, they said they wish they had shared this with their coworkers, but in our group they were sharing. It's because Jesus saved me. He gave, the Son of God gave himself to me. What, what more can I have? I have? I have God. See, somehow by the grace of God, you know, these brothers and sisters, and, you know, I'm sure they have struggles too in their spiritual life, but in that moment, they understood the truth of this passage that they are built up as a spiritual house in which God has chosen to dwell, and we are his priesthood. We can bask and dwell in his presence. So who cares if my presentation doesn't go so well? I'll just do better next time but it's not going to destroy me. Is there some sort of application there for your own life? As a parent, as a worker, as a wife, as a husband, as a boyfriend, as a girlfriend, as a student, is there some application there where you can proclaim the excellencies of Christ and that that just becomes a fountain of joy in you. This is an invitation for others. Lastly, fourth and lastly, look at verse 10 and 11. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. He's talking about the fact that once you had no identity, you didn't even have a physical region to call your nation. But now, you, you were homeless, but now you are God's people. Wow. You were once homeless, but now you are God's. You are my people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. What is that? Uh, what is that in? Uh, an imagery of. It's an imagery of home, right? Sojourner means what? You're away from home. Exile means what? You don't have a home. But what's he talking about here? He's saying, we don't have a home here. We have a home where? A spiritual house with God that cannot be taken away. So as members of this spiritual household... Would you abstain from the passions of the flesh 
which wage war against your soul. The passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. Those things, the passions of, of the flesh that we think, we think they're so good and they're, they feel so good and they're, they're going to help us. Actually, God in his truth, God doesn't lie, does he? God says that those things that you think are good for your life, they're actually waging war against your soul like cancer does against the body. It's destroying your soul, waging war against... There's no, no holds barred, right, in war. And the things that our flesh chase after, those things are actually waging war against our soul. So abstain. God is our Father. Our loving Father is begging us, is teaching. Abstain from those things, right? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among the people who don't yet believe. Keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and then they will glorify God on the day of visitation. Commentators think day of visitation, some think that's the day of judgment when Jesus returns. Some think it's the day of visitation means the day when the Holy Spirit visits those non-believers and they become Christian. Either way, right, they will glorify the Lord. Why? Because of your good deeds. Why? Because of the spiritual sacrifices that you offered. Do you see? If we can grow in our Christ-likeness, our actions will speak as loud as our words. Our gospel actions will speak as loud as our gospel words. If we grow in our Christ-likeness, if we abstain from these fleshly passions, understanding that this is not our home, this is not my house. Another way to think about it is if, uh, you know, you, you come from, um, you know, parents who maybe said this to you, that's great that your friends do that, but in our house, that's not something we do, right? Friends, brothers, sisters, God is saying, that's great <laughs> that those other people want to do what they want to do, but for our house and you as my child whom I love, that's not how we do things. We treat one another as I treated you. And if we can grow in that Christ-likeness, then our actions will speak as loud as our words. The more we keep these things of Christ deep in our minds, all these things that we talked about today, the more we keep those things deep in our minds, close to your lips, the more compelling your lifestyle becomes. Your life, our lives will become this, uh, I gave you four things, right? It will become this four-dimensional invitation to those who are still in darkness, the darkness that you used to be in. Right? We're no different. And it's a four-dimensional invitation to meet Jesus and in Jesus find a life, a peace, a joy, a love, a home with the Creator, all of which can never be taken from you. So, in conclusion just to kind of wrap up, as the priesthood, 
God is asking us, is teaching us, is exhorting us, respond to his word today. Respond to his word with faith. Respond with love and obedience to your father. And offer up spiritual sacrifices as a member of the priesthood. Right? Offer those up. Make that a lifestyle. And then proclaim his excellencies. Proclaim his mercies. Proclaim. And, and don't just tell people what to do. Tell them what God did for you. I was once in the dark, but he brought me into the marvelous light. I once had, could find no mercy anywhere, but now I have mercy in Christ. I was a people without a home, but now my home is in God. And as you do that, as you reflect that, as you reflect the ways of Christ's household and not the ways of the other households, let's pray that we can be and you can be a compelling invitation into God's house. And one day, those who stumble on Jesus when they read his words will, like you, be able to rest on the cornerstone of Jesus. He will no longer be a stumbling stone, but he will be a cornerstone for those who are lost. I want to close with this last story. When I went back to L.A. Uh, in 2003, I was serving at a church. And um, at this church, there was a college student, we'll just call him Todd, and he told me this story that just uh, I will never forget. And it's a story that has actually helped me in the way that I raise my kids. Okay? Back when Todd was in middle school, his dad went to church. You know, and one day his dad went and he came back a different man. Apparently he had met Jesus. Right? So that night he came home. And he wanted to talk to Todd. Todd was like the apple of his eye. Todd was this, you know, he was actually a, a track star at one of the UCs, um, and he was Korean. You know, go figure. <laughs> and so, you know, Todd made his dad very proud, right, for all of those reasons. The apple of his eye. And so Todd goes excitedly into, you know, goes home, wants to tell Todd about what happened, but it's kind of late, and he finds that Todd is already asleep. But he's so excited, and what he wants to share is so important that he decides, I'm just going to wake Todd up. So he wakes Todd up, and Todd's like bleary-eyed, like, uh, you know, middle school kid. He recounts uh, Todd, this is him telling the story, he recounts his dad saying to him, son, tonight... I accepted Jesus' a gift of forgiveness. And so what that means is when I die, not if, but when. And of course, Todd is getting kind of freaked out. Like, what? Are, do you, are, is my dad going to tell me he has cancer or something? When I die, don't you worry, because I will be with Jesus when I die. He's a little middle school kid. And while I'm there, Todd, I don't want you to be sad because I'll be waiting for you. So Todd, my son, promise me something. 
you also need to meet Jesus so that we can be in heaven together. And he looked at his son, and, you know, bleary face, Todd, promise me. I love you. Promise me. Because I want to be in heaven together with you, my son. This heart of the father to be with his son, this is the heart with which God sent his son to save you. And why did he save you? Because the Father didn't want to be in heaven without you. And so he sacrificed his own son for you. Don't you think it's pretty cool to be a priest of this God? Isn't that exciting? That is the heart of evangelism. It's not a religious duty. It's about wanting to be with God and God wanting to be with you even more. And that's why you're here. You as the cement powder or the two by four, you didn't walk in here on your own. God picked you up, prepared you, did what he had to do to prepare you and put you here in these seats today to be a spiritual house, proclaiming his excellencies, offering up sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices. Why? So that the world would know that the light we shine is the light of Jesus. Come out of the darkness, be in the light, for that's what happened for me. We talked about prayer, spiritual sacrifices, what say we actually do it now? Does sound good? Yeah? And by the way, Todd, <laughs> I, I, it, I just wrote Todd here, uh, so <laughs> I don't want you to think that I was singling out. Maybe God was singling out, but um, yeah, I don't want you to feel all weird. All right, let's spend some time offering up a spiritual sacrifice. We talked about it. Let's do it, right? So here's how we're going to do it. Um, as I look in the room, I think most of us are believers. I don't know. But whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, I want you to take time right now to reflect on how, on the darkness that is in your life. Reflect on the darkness that God called you out of. Remember, there's a, there's a famous song, remember uh, a verse, remember your chains. Remember the things that God saved you from. Remember the goodness of his redemption and his salvation. If you're not a believer, I want you to just, just take this time to think about those things, the darkness in your life, and you just don't want to stumble along in life anymore. And whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, as you think about that, think about this. Christ is excellent and he is calling you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's calling you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Pray about that right now. Take some time. 
talk to the Father.